0: We're talking about messes we create for ourselves because we chase things, give our lives toward things that maybe shouldn't be the priorities that we sometimes make them. Sometimes we create messes by making decisions, and it's clear we're making a decision that's going to create a mess. Other times, it's unintentional. We're not as clear that it's going to lead to a mess. It's kind of an accident. But we put ourselves in a position where it can happen. About a year and a half ago, a man out in the northwest decided to go duck hunting one morning. And uh, so he's he's in this little boat with his dog and stops, gets in the water near a marsh so he could set out some some decoys and leaves his shotgun filled with birdshot laying across the, the bow of the boat. And while he's out there putting his decoys in place, his dog shoots him. This is a true story. His dog shoots him. Don't know what happened, but apparently while he was in the water putting the decoys out, he had left the safety off and the dog went over and you know started either stepping on or jumping on the shotgun and while he's putting those decoys in places in place it shoots and and and, and birdshot fills his backside. And to this day the dog is refusing to talk to the cops about what happened. That's really bad, isn't it? But sometimes That's that's how life works. We make a a mistake. We do something like leaving the safety off, leaving the gun in a boat where a dog could step on it and shoot us. We we put ourselves in positions where bad things can happen. We, We make some decisions that maybe we should have thought through a little bit better. And we're not very intentional about it, but the result's the same. It ends up creating a mess for us there are those other moments when we are, we are very conscious of what we're doing. And we don't necessarily want it to go bad or even think it will go bad, but we're very conscious of decisions we're making. And maybe on some level know that the decision does not agree with the Bible, does not agree with what God expects of us, and it ends up creating a mess for ourselves. So that, that's what we're talking about. Not, not the messes that other people create that we get caught up in, but our own messes, those of our own making, if you will. And we're using as our uh, case study, if you will, the people of God in the city of Jerusalem and Judea who lived during the time of the Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, to open it with me to the second chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, in the next three weeks we're going to look at how you learn from the messes you create. How do you get right with God? How do you make things right with God after you make a mess? And then on Father's Day, how do you go forward? How do you move beyond the mess that you created? But these first three weeks, we're focusing on the mess itself and why we create them. And we began by saying that the people of Judah and Jerusalem At the core of of what led them to make the kind of decisions that put them in a mess was idolatry. They had turned their back on God and were worshiping pagan gods and idols. But idolatry is more than worshiping a, a carving, a false god. Idolatry is really allowing anything or any person to take God's rightful place in our life. When there's something that I love more than God, something I want more than God, something I cherish more than God, something I live for more than God, whatever that something, whatever that someone is, has become an idol. That's idolatry. And when we do that, we end up not always making wise decisions and we're more likely to create a mess for ourselves. Last week, we started looking at how does idolatry show up in your life? What does it look like? And so we examined How idolatry shows up in our approach to living. Today, we're going to focus on how does idolatry show up in the way we think about God and about His Word, about the Bible. Because you can be religious and go to church and still God not have His rightful place in your life. And if God doesn't have His rightful place in your life but you still go to church, it's going to show up not only in how you approach living last week, but today how you think about God, how you approach God, and how you approach the Bible or parts of the Bible, parts of what God says. And I want to ask you to do something this morning. As we look at these people of God hundreds of years ago and how it showed up in their attitude about God and His Word, I want you to ask yourself the question, Do I have any of the same attitudes? The way they looked at God and the way they thought about the Bible and God's Word, God's truth, do I see any of that in me? And if you do, what are you going to do about it? If you do see some of them in you, maybe it's a lot of them or just a little bit of them, but if you see some of it in you, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to continue down the path you're on or are you going to make an adjustment? And I want to encourage you to make an adjustment because things are not going to change without making adjustments, correct? So today we're going to look at how does this idolatry, this not letting God have his rightful place in your life, show up and how we think about God and how we think about the Word of God, the Bible. Now, to summarize their predicament, their position I put in your notes and on the screen the words to Jeremiah 18, and we'll get to chapter 2 in a minute, but in Jeremiah 18, verse 17, the Bible says, Like an east wind I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. The calamity was something that we saw the last two weeks have been building for a hundred years as their nation lost its independence and became a conquered nation, first by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And because they had turned their back on God, their nation collapsed. And leading up to the final destruction of Jerusalem, they went through some really difficult times. Poverty, starvation, some of them even turned to cannibalism. And eventually the Babylonians leveled Jerusalem to the ground, burned the city down. They burned the temple, destroyed the temple, destroyed the Ark of the Covenant. Destroyed the Ten Commandments. They burned it all. They carried the expensive things back to Babylon. They deported the majority of the population to Babylon where they would spend the rest of their lives as slaves. That's the calamity. That's the mess that that ultimately they ended up in. And God says when that moment comes because they've turned their back on me and they haven't been willing to repent and they've continued going down the path they've gone down, it'll be like I've turned my back on them. In other words, if you want to create your mess, God, if you won't listen to Him, will let you. If you want to make the kind of decisions that will bring pain into your life, God doesn't want you to make those decisions. He'll try to stop you from making those decisions. But God will not violate your freedom. If you choose to make those kind of decisions, you'll make them. You'll make them. And God will let you make them because He created you as a free human being to do well or to do badly, to love him or not love him, to listen to him or not listen to him. And so their attitude toward God that led to this calamity is found, is, is explained in one verse in chapter 2, verse 27. Jeremiah, look at it, chapter 2, verse 27. He's, he's talking to, to the people of Israel and how in verse 26 they were worshiping idols and didn't and they listened to false prophets and all of that. And he said to them, you're the kind of people who say to a tree, you're my father. And you say to a stone, you gave me birth. These idols, you're God that gives me life and sustains me. For they have turned their back on me, the Lord says, and not their face. Rather than looking toward God, looking at God, they look away from God. They turn their back to God. But in the time of their trouble they will say, Arise and save us. So they don't want to look at God, have anything to do with God, pay attention to God when things are going well, but when things get bad, when the problems come because of the decisions they've made, then they want to turn around and say, Now, God, rescue us. Fix it. Help us. We're going to live during the good times with our back to you, not our face. And then when we create a mess for ourselves, Okay, God, fix it. Help us. He says that was the attitude they had. And unfortunately, that's the attitude some of us have. I remember a few years ago walking through a house under construction. The owner was not a Christian. Instead was a Hindu. And I remember seeing these niches in the house where idols could go. If you've traveled in this country or particularly outside this country, if you want, you have the opportunity to go to to a lot of places of worship. And so I've been to places where Muslims worship and Hindus worship and Buddhists worship and Sikhs worship and other groups worship. And in many of those places, not all, but in many of them, you'll see idols, actual figurines, carvings, whatever, that they will bow to and worship. But the interesting thing is, these idols are things they create. Here's what the Bible teaches, that God created us, and he created us in his image. And the only part of creation that is created in the image of God is us, humanity. And that places humanity in a privileged place in all of creation. And God says to humanity, have dominion over the earth. That doesn't mean abuse it, but we have a privileged place in all of creation. Only humanity is created to have an eternal relationship with God. And yet what we do is we turn around, and rather than worshiping and serving the God who created the universe and created us, we create God's that we then worship. And so we, listen to this, we end up worshiping things that we create. That doesn't make any sense. But it's what we do. And so he begins making fun of them in verse 28 after getting in trouble and asking God to help them in verse 28. But where are your gods which you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can, if they can save you in the time of your trouble. He's he's literally mocking them other places in Jeremiah. He makes fun of them. You're worshiping a tree. You're worshiping a rock. I've got some figurines here. This is a coal miner. My family background is coal mining. This is a coal miner made out of coal. I have several of these kind of things in my office and at home. This is my beloved UK nutcracker. Go Big blue. Somebody made both of these. Right? They're humanly made. An idol is something that is humanly made. And what he's saying is, you spend your life during the good times, when things are going okay, with your back or your shoulder turned to God, not your face. And instead, these things are what you worship. Now, if I were to place this UK nutcracker there that somebody made and I paid money to buy and then I got on my knees and started worshipping that, you would say that's that's just really silly, right? But we still do that. Here's how we do it. I could really like Kentucky sports a lot, and if I lived in Lexington, I go to more games than I get to living here. Although I do go to some. But if I wanted to, I could I could spend so much money on something that I love, and and it could be more important to me than the things of God that I that I I don't use my money my resources the way God wants me to. I can't tithe because I'm spending all my money on other things that I love more than God. That's idolatry. A car, a house, clothing. Idolatry could be that person. That person that you want to be with so badly you will compromise your core convictions. That that job promotion... Or career opportunity that you want so badly you will sell your soul and do things you know you shouldn't do to get it. It's when God and God's rightful place and God's truth on the throne of our life gets pushed to the side and something else sits there and that is what forms our life, shapes our life, dictates our life. That's idolatry. And the truth is, we, we, we devote our lives to things that are less than us because only we are created in God's image. And if we're not careful, we'll spend our lives serving things that are below us rather than the God who is above all of us. Now, does that mean it's wrong to spend money to go to a ball game? No. I will spend money in the future and go to ball games. Does that mean it's wrong to spend money and go to the beach? No, I'm going to do that this summer. But it does mean if all those things or people, whatever it is out there that I want in life, I want them so much that God is no longer the one ordering my life, directing my life, that's idolatry. And we know it's silly to pray to a piece of wood or a piece of coal or stone. But it's just as silly to allow our lives to become slaves to other things and allow God to get pushed to the side. When we reach that point, it shows up in how we think about God and how we talk about God. And how much we allow God to shape our lives or the limited number of places we allow God. You know, we compartmentalize. All right, God, you can shape me here, but not there. God, you can have this part of my life, but not that part. It shows up in how we think about the Bible, how we think about God's Word. I like this, I don't like that, so I will accept this, but I will reject that. Look in Jeremiah chapter 6, if you will, please. A verse that describes how this, this idolatry, this, this, it's not that they totally forgot God, it's just that God didn't have His rightful place. But it shows up in how they approached God. In chapter, God in his, his Word, I want, I want to begin by just helping you think about how it showed up in their attitude about His Word, about the Bible. Chapter 6, verse 10. Jeremiah is is speaking. He says, to whom shall I speak and give a warning that they may hear? Who am I going to preach to? Behold, the word of the Lord has become, or or rather, behold, their ears are closed. And they cannot listen. It's like they just don't pay attention. They they don't want to hear God. They don't want to, to hear God's word. Tune it out. But it's more than that. He says, Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. Your Bible may translate that word as offensive to them, a scorn to them. And they have no delight, no joy in it. When, when it says that God's word has become a reproach to them, it's a Hebrew word that, that means something you point your finger at. You, you, ever, you ever looked at somebody and said, Would you look at her? Would you look at him? You ever you know kind of wagged you? Would you look at that? That's what this word reproach means. It means to have a stigma attached to it. And let's be honest, there are certain things that God's Word says, certain truths that God has revealed in the Scripture, and our modern culture wags its finger. Would you look at that? Would you listen to that? And there's a stigma attached to some of the truth of God, right? When when Jesus says to the woman who was called in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you, our culture likes that. God is love. God is accepting. When Jesus then also said to that same woman, now go and sin no more, our culture doesn't like that. And there's aspects of God's Word that our culture says yes. And other aspects, it wags its finger and says no. No. And because there's this stigma, there's this shame, there's this wagging of the finger in culture toward what God says, many of us who go to church and many of us who say we believe in God and we love God, we are so intimidated, we're so embarrassed, we want position, we want acceptance, we want to fit in, we want to be part of the crowd. And so we begin, without much thought, turning our back on some of what God says too. Now here's the problem. You can't separate what God says from who God is because God is truth and therefore what he says is truth. To say you love God but you don't like, love what he says is a contradiction And brothers and sisters, if, if God allows the, the, the world to continue turning this, and, and, and this planet to continue revolving around the sun for another thousand years, at the end of that thousand years, God will be saying exactly what He says today, whether people like it or not. And on the judgment day, God will say then what He already says now. He doesn't change with the tide the way culture does. And so the people of Jerusalem and Judea had, got, had gotten to a place where, would you look at that when it comes to God's Word? And idolatry shows up when you and I want something so much, we want to do something so badly. And God says, no, but we want it so much We don't listen to, we don't pay attention to, we don't hear, we don't obey. We may even point our finger at what God says. That's where they were. Are you anywhere near there? Is there a part of your life where you're in that place? He said they take no delight in it, no pleasure in it. Contrast that with Jeremiah's attitude in, in chapter 15, verse 16, where Jeremiah said, Your words, God, your words have become for me joy and a delight in my heart. See, is, is God in His Word the kind of thing that you're so excited about and you enjoy so much, you turn your face to it, you're drawn to it, You, it's like that piece of chocolate cake. It's, it's, it's the difference between how badly you want fried chicken versus baked chicken. I think I'm talking about myself, aren't I? But you want it. He said God's Word is joy and it's pleasure and it's, it's a delight. In Psalm 119, he says it's like honey, it's sweet, and you want it. Is, is that you? Or have, have you moved to where they had moved to? Indifference, not listening, not paying attention, not wanting to hear it. Not reading it. Not studying it. Not wanting to be bothered by it. Or have you moved to where some of them had moved to where now it's a reproach. You've moved beyond indifference to it's a reproach. You wag your finger at it. You reject it. You don't want it. Because you know that your life contradicts it. What you want may contradict it. What's important to you may contradict it. Normally when God's Word and His truth has the right place in our life, it means He has the right place in our life. In chapter 36, and the words are in your notes, there's a powerful example of the attitude the people at that time had toward God's Word. I mentioned in previous weeks that Jeremiah was a prophet. He preached for over 40 years. About midway through his ministry, God instructed Jeremiah to dictate a summation of his preaching. To a Hebrew scribe named Baruch and Baruch in ink on scroll on parchment wrote Jeremiah's message, a summation of them of 20 years of preaching. Through a series of events, some men who supported Jeremiah and also were officials in the government took that scroll and wanted to read it to King Jehoiakim. Who was not living for the God, for God who was hostile to God. He's the king that last Sunday I mentioned have one of the prophets, one of the true prophets, killed, executed. Because if Jehoiakim would listen and repent, the nation could turn around and the nation could be spared the calamity that was going to come in another twenty years. Now remember, we've already said the messes don't always show up immediately after making the decision. Maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe a decade. It may be decades. So here it is. This scroll of God's Word is being read to King Jehoiakim 20 years before Babylon destroyed the city. And he has a chance to turn it around. They begin reading this long scroll of God's Word to King Jehoiakim. And in chapter 36, Jehoiakim takes out a knife and begins cutting it. And he throws the pieces into a fire where it's burned. The roosters didn't come home to roost at that moment. But what does the Scripture say? God is not mocked. Your sin will what? What? Well, what? Finds you out. Don't be deceived. It may not be immediate, but it's always a reality. And so he throws God's word in the fire and thinks, that's that. Jehoiakim would live to see the city of Jerusalem surrounded by the Babylonian army and knew the end was coming. You can reject God's word, you can wag your finger at what God says, you can be indifferent, you can ignore it, but that you, you, you can throw it in the fire, but that doesn't destroy the power of what He says, nor does it destroy the truth of what he says. There's one last thing that goes hand in glove with our attitude about God's Word. When God doesn't have his rightful place in our life, it shows up in how we approach his Word, but it also shows up in how we think about his Lordship in our life. In chapter 5 of Jeremiah, in verse 24, The prophet said, they do not say in their hearts, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain in its season, both the autumn rain, the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Rather than having reverence and fear for the God who blesses them and sustains them and gives them life, they forget that ultimately all our blessings come from God. And instead... They turn their back to Him, not their face. They don't fear Him. Fear has both the negative and positive aspects, the the fear. God is God, and I'm not. God is God, and you're not. He's God. I'm accountable to Him. But it's also reverence and awe that grows out of a knowledge of who He is, but also a knowledge that He loves us and cares for us. You've got to keep all that in balance. They didn't. They wanted the love of God, but not the accountability to God. They wanted the help and the blessings of God, but not the service to God, not the obedience to God, not the acceptance of His Word, nor the acceptance of His Lordship. The first part of chapter 5, God tells Jeremiah to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and see if he can find one person, just one person, who will listen. And Jeremiah talks about going to the poor and those who were religiously uneducated and uninformed and didn't know the Word of God. And he said, I didn't find it among them. And then he talks about going to the great, the wealthy, and those who were educated in the Hebrew Jewish faith. And I didn't find it among them. He said, they've all done the same thing. At the end of verse 5, with one accord... They have broken the yoke and burst the bonds. The yoke that mostly made of wood instrument that farmers will use to put two bulls or two oxen together to control them, to do farm work, to pull a wagon, to plow, to do whatever. Because otherwise these animals won't cooperate. They won't produce what's good. They'll just go wild and do their own thing. The yoke enables the farmer to have submission, to have control, to utilize them for good. You and I are servants of God. We are to be submissive to God. We are are to surrender to His Lordship in our life. We are to wear a yoke, if you will. Jesus in the gospel said, take my yoke upon you. Did He not? Yes, God loves me. God's going to bless me. God has great things for my life. But folks, he's lived in the context of being submissive not to the things that I created and want, but being submissive to the lordship of the God who created me. I wear his yoke and so do you. But too many of us spend our time on this planet trying to break the yoke and be free to do our own thing. And that's what leads to a lot of messes in life. A lot of messes. So where are you? Where are you right now? What's God saying? What's your attitude toward God? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you allowing Him and what He says to shape your life, to establish your values, your priorities, your direction, your purpose? Or are you kind of turning your side to God? Or have you reached the point where you're turning your back to God? When you're supposed to live with your face to God. And there's not a better place to live than with your face to God.